Well, good morning again. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. We are continuing in the book of James this morning. We've been in James for a few weeks now. And we've seen how James is challenging his readers, his hearers, to live out the faith that they say that they have. James is challenging you, brethren, to live out the faith that you claim. That's why I've titled our, our series of messages in this book, A Faith That Works, faith that is demonstrated in our life, in our works. And as we've continued onward in chapter 1 of James, we've come to a new section. We started that new section last week in verse 19 of chapter 1, and that new section runs from verse 19 all the way, all the way excuse me, to verse 27. And in this section, James is dealing with the importance of the Word of God in your life. If you want to have a, a faith that is lived out, then it's important that you understand the, the source of God's will, that you know how you are to live. And so James is emphasizing the Word of God and, and how we are to receive it, respond to it, and how we are to obey it. And so we looked at last week in verses 19 to 21, we looked at receiving the Word. and We talked about how you receive the Word with humility, and that we put away our pride. And when we, we go to God's Word or we hear God's Word and, and the Holy Spirit prompts us and convicts us that we need to be willing to receive God's instruction, His rebuke, His correction. And so James exhorts these believers this morning, and he exhorts you as well, to not only to receive the Word, but he wants you to respond to the Word. I recently ran across a, an article, a study that's being done or has been done at Stanford University. And it was interesting because they're analyzing people's brains and how they respond to music. And what they've done is they've taken uh, a group of people ages 19 to 27, then they've, they've placed them in MRI machines, and then they'll play classical music, and they're analyzing how their brains respond to this music. And it's interesting because what they found is that everyone's brain responded exactly the same way, which was surprising. They thought there'd be some variation. But they found that their, their brains responded the same. And this, this research will be helpful and is helpful, especially with dealing with people with speech impediments or uh, Alzheimer's or brain deficiencies so they can analyze and have a baseline. Well, in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, James would love it if everyone responded to the Word of God in the same way. But unfortunately, he says that, and he warns his readers that there really are two responses to God's Word. You can deceive yourself, or you can be blessed. Now, and that's a danger for you as well, brethren, lest we think that it only applies to those readers and those hearers in the first century, because the danger ultimately comes back to pride in our hearts. So James wants you to be quick to hear. He wants you to, to hear the Word of God, to assimilate the message, to hear with eagerness and attentiveness. But the danger for you is that you, you read your Bibles, you hear good messages preached, you go to home groups or Bible studies, you come to church, you listen to sound preaching on the radio or on the internet, and, but yet you do not respond in obedience. That's, that's the danger. 
that James warns about. He says that you are deluded or deceived. However, brethren, knowledge alone does not equal godliness. James, or sorry, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, the obedience that God requires is, is not hard, and it's for your best possible good. Living in obedience, responding to the Word of God, James says that's the blessed life. You want to live the blessed life? Be obedient to the Word of God. And today we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, in a message that I've entitled, Respond to the Word. Well, James says, in regard to the Word of God, that there is a response that is required, there is a danger to be avoided, and there is a blessing to be gained. So let's go ahead and look at the text this morning, and we'll dig in. Starting in verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So James, first of all, says that there is a response that is required to the Word of God. He Notice in verse 22, he says, in, in the SB, it says, but prove yourself. In some versions, it says, be this way. The word is, is genomai in the Greek, but it, it has to do with continually be this way, or, or I like it I like to say continually strive because it gives that idea of effort. Because there is effort involved when we hear the Word of God. We're, we're not to be passive hearers of the Word of God. Christianity and, and the Christian faith is not contemplative meditation. I mean, we're not just learning God's Word just for the sake of learning and, and meditating on the Scripture and then that's it. We're not Buddhist monks. We, we're to live out our faith. So James said for you to, to be or continually strive to be doers of the Word. Now the word there for doer, is he's, he's using this noun to, to characterize the believer. Well, when others look at you, would they, would they say that you're a doer of the Word? Right? Is, that, is that a, descriptive, a description excuse me, of you? And that's what James' point is, that, that that should be something that characterizes believers. Emphasizing what you are, who you are, it's your whole personality should be involved in doing the Word. Your mind, your soul, your emotions, all should be involved in obeying the Word of God. Because it's not just enough to believe the gospel and say, all right, I'm, I'm saved from the penalty of sin, but then do nothing else afterwards. James says, look, you need to be a doer of the Word. That should characterize your life. There must be an active obedience. Matthew 7, 24 through 29 is a great passage. and Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
It's a great parable about who hears the Word of God, and if you respond in obedience, you, you built your life on the rock of the Word of God. And if you don't, you built your life on sand, and your life slips away. You, you're destined to fail and fall. But James says, look, not only be doers of the Word. He says to be, he, sorry, sorry, he says, be doers of the Word, but not merely hearers. Now, he's not saying don't be hearers in verse 22. He wants you to hear the Word of God and respond, but he says not merely. In some versions, it says not only. Hearing is important. You have to learn. But what he's talking about, a hearer in the Greek is it's someone who attends a lecture of a teacher, but they're not actually a disciple. In the States, we would call this person an auditor. You go into a, a seminary or you go into a university class and, and you hear the message, but you're not responsible for any of the work. You're not held accountable. When I was in seminary, my, my wife was able to come and sit with me in classes. And she was able to take marriage and family class, New Testament survey, quite, quite a few. And it was a, it was a great time of, of, um, of fellowship for us because we were able to discuss the material. But she wasn't accountable, right? She wasn't getting a grade for the material. She didn't have to write any papers, and, and she wasn't working towards a degree. She was just auditing the class. She was just a, a hearer. And that's James' point. He's saying that there, there's so many people, or, or there's people in churches, and they, they hear the word preached, or they, they read the word, and, and yet they don't, they're not necessarily believers, because the, you profess Jesus Christ, but if you do not obey His words, then you're a pretender. And that's what James James's emphasis here is, is if you believe that sorry if you if you hear the word of God but do not obey then you're you're deluding yourself you're deceiving yourselves you must have a life of obedience that's how you have assurance that you're truly a believer but for believers if we if we refuse to listen to the word of God then there there's no sanctifying power in your life you must embrace the Word, live out the Word, follow the Word, obey the Word. True believers have a hunger for God, have a hunger for, for His Word. Now, I, I like 1 John, chapter two, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So it's a danger and it's a caution. So James is saying, look, don't just be a hearer only. Let your life characterize you as a doer of the word. Receive the word. Respond to the word. So James's first point is that there's a response that's required. And the second point that James makes is there's a, there's a danger to be avoided. Look at, the, look at the end of verse 22. He says, Do not be merely hearers who delude themselves. Word there also means uh, deceive yourselves. It's, it's those that, that hear without any action. Deceiving word in Greek means to, be, to miscalculate. Or misjudge. You're, you're to deceive by false reasonings. Well, what he's saying is that it, it's a continual state of deception that you yourself, you put yourself in. You reason in your mind that you're okay. 
that the Word of God doesn't apply to you or, or you don't need to study and you don't need to heed what God's Word says and you, you delude yourself, you deceive yourself. Right? It blinds you. Your, your own reasoning and your emotions blind you to your, your spiritual condition. And this comes from, from hearing and not acting. You see, you think you're right with God, but when in reality, you're, you're not really. Because you're not obeying the truth. You know, most, not most, many evaluate their godliness by the quality of the teaching that they're under or the, or the quality of the messages that they hear or the, the quality of the books they read. But knowledge alone is not a measure of godliness. James says later on in, in the book of James that you, know, you believe, you do well, but the demons believe. So just because you have great theology, the demons have great theology. They know exactly who God is. They know all about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but yet there's no redemption for demons. They don't, they don't have an opportunity to repent. There's no salvation. But they, not that they would choose it. They will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You see, you, you, can, you can have a great base of knowledge, but yet not be growing in godliness. That's why that's what Peter says in 2 Peter at the end of the book, to, to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about our, our lives and, and you think about, is my life a life of active obedience? I had a friend, or I have a friend that once confronted a, another guy in, in school, Bible college that we, uh, we both knew, and he was telling me the story, and he said he found out about this particular individual and some immoral activity that he was engaging in, and he went to confront him and, and kind of gently call him into, into repentance. And the guy responded, and he said, he said, no, no, I'm okay. He said, you know, I listen to John MacArthur's sermons, I, I read, you know, I read these good books, and I, you know, I, go to, I go to a good church, I'm okay. And what the guy was demonstrating that is that he had deluded himself into thinking that just because he had the right theology and he had the right knowledge, that he was okay with the Lord. But what showed us that he really wasn't was obviously his lack of obedience to the Word of God. Brethren, it's not about the knowledge that you have. The knowledge is important. Remember, James says you need to be a hearer, but not a hearer only. You must apply that knowledge to grow spiritually, because that's the point of this section. James wants you to, to ingest and obey and submit to the Word of God so that you're living out your faith, because God has revealed His Word to us. He's revealed His, His character, His nature, our condition, and His will in His Word. We can't really understand God apart from His Word. I can't trust our passions and our emotions. You can't trust your reasonings apart from the Word of God. That's why Paul says in Romans that we're to be, our minds are to be transformed, right? Our minds are to be renewed by the Word. Because we, we need the Word of God to, to, to teach us, to, to teach our consciences, to renew our minds, to, to show us what it truly means to please God. But brethren, that's the Bible, right? Just because you read the Puritans or Spurgeon or you memorize Scripture or you read through the Bible in a year, it's no spiritual value if you don't obey. And that's James's point. So don't miscalculate. Don't deceive yourself that you're just because you go to a good church. 
that you're okay. Your hearing must be accompanied by doing. And James continues and he says that that person who hears is, he's, he's kind of a, a forgetful person. Verse 23, he says, For anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So the hearer, I call this person the hearer non-doer. So James is illustrating the the self-deceived person in verse 22. He he said he's the listener who doesn't obey. He likes good sermons. He even likes to talk about theology. But but when it comes down to it, he's not willing to to obey the Word of God. And we've all known people in churches like that. I've known plenty of people. They're even excited and they'll talk to you about theology. But something happens in their life, a trial comes, and they disappear. They, they, they demonstrate that all their knowledge was never really, never really took root in their hearts. James makes this comparison. He said it's like a, it's like a man that, that looks at himself in the mirror, and that, that looks is, is not just occasional glance. The, the word there for looks is it's an intense, studied attention. He's beholding himself. He, he's looking at himself in the mirror, and he's looking at his, his natural face. Now, a mirror in the first century, they would take and they would, they would polish metal, copper, they would polish bronze, they would polish silver. We, they didn't have the glass mirrors that we have today. And so when you, when you polished a mirror, you polished the metal, you had to kind of look at yourself and you had to study yourself to get a, a good picture of, of what you look like. And that's what James is talking about here. And he, said his, he says the, uh, the person who just merely hears the word is, is like that person. They're studying themselves and they're looking at themselves in, in these mirrors and they're looking at their, their reflection. And then they walk away. They just forget. And he said the person who looks is at himself and he, and he goes away. He's immediately forgotten what kind of person. He, so he's looked, he's carefully considered what he looks like, and he walks away, and he goes away, and he doesn't take any action. Well, the comparison that James is drawing, he says that the here is the person who looks at the Word of God, and he studies the Word of God, and he's learning about himself, but yet either through his, his, uh, his carelessness or his desire to not submit, he goes away without taking any action, and it becomes a continual state where he forgets what he's heard, right? That the Word of God is, has shown him what type of person he is. The Word of God has, has revealed to him his sin and his pride. But the point here that James is making is that the, the forgetting is the true failure. The hearer who non-does or hearer non-doer or the, the, the hearer who doesn't obey, the forgetfulness is the issue because he's looked at the Word of God. He's heard the Word of God, but he doesn't do anything about it, right? Because when you look at the Word of God, your true character isn't hidden from God. You read the Word of God, and, and you, you're, you're shown God and on His glory and His holiness, or His partial glory and His holiness, His love, His mercy, right? His wrath, His, his hatred of sin and its filthiness and His wickedness. But you're also shown how far from God that man truly is. Even in our redeemed state, 
our, our flesh is still, still, still desires sin. We still filthy ourselves with sin. We still struggle with our pride and our selfishness and our idolatry. And the Word of God reveals that state to us as we, as we study the Word of God. But the hearer who goes away without taking any action is the, is the forgetful person. Right? Christian faith is, is not contemplative mysticism. We're, we're not just sitting here humming and thinking and, and waiting for our emotions to bubble up and our, and our reason to take control. No, we, we respond to the Word of God. It requires action. So the goal to remember is that is we want to remember God's acts, His nature, His will. And that comes from the Word of God. In Along Japan's northeast coast, they have many of these stones they build along the coast. Uh, they're big, flat stones. Some can be as high as 10 feet. And you can see these stones, and what they are is they're tsunami stones. And a lot of them were erected over 100 years ago, in the late 1800s, when two deadly tsunamis killed over 22,000 Japanese. Well, these stones were erected to mark the highest point of the waves, well, I was reading the article, one such stone warned villagers in Yoriyoshi, Japan. It says, do not build your homes below this point. Well, the residents of that particular area obeyed that stone, and their village was saved in 2011 when the tsunami hit Japan, and over 29,000 people were killed. See, the choice is, are you a forgetful person? Do you hear the Word of God and, and just look at yourself, hear the truth, and walk away without any obedience? Or are you going to be the person that takes the warning to heart and lives a blessed life? So James condemns the person. He condemns the, the hearer non-doer. This is the forgetful person. They've seen a, a glimpse of the truth and they don't like it at all. They immediately go away and forget. And, and what this is... Brethren, it's, it's pride. It's spiritual pride. James says in 121, he says, Receive the word in humility. And he warns believers and he warns us that, that pride is hearing the word and refusing to respond to it in faith, in a repentance, in obedience. You see, God's word gives us a, a thorough, thorough diagnosis of our spiritual condition. It's like going to the doctor and getting treatment for cancer and then said, no, I don't, I don't believe you, doctor. I'm going to continue living my life as if you haven't told me that I have some condition. Where the Word of God diagnoses us properly, God's Word warns you of your spiritual condition. But your, your pride causes you to forget and it, it gives you a false sense of security where you say, I'm okay. You deceive yourself, and you actually believe the lie that Satan said to Eve, where Satan said, did God really say? And that's what you say to yourself. Do I really have to obey? Did God really say that? Is that what's best for me? Is that what's good? Spiritual pride deafens you to the commands of Scripture. And that's why God hates pride, by the way. He detests it. It says in Proverbs 16.5, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. And in Proverbs 8.13, I hate 
pride and arrogance. James said, James says in the book of James that God brings low the proud and He exalts the humble. As William Farley, pastor of a church in the United States, says, God hates pride because it aggressively resists His agenda. See, the hearer, non-doer, the, the forgetful person sees himself, but he refuses to act. He forgets and he goes on in his life to more important things in his own mind. He, he forgets his spiritual state. He, he really doesn't care about his spiritual state. He believes he's okay. Brethren, take heed lest you be that person, the one who, who hears the word of God and, and refuses to obey. So James says that there's a danger to be avoided, but he also says there's a, there's a blessing to be gained. Look in verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So he's talking about the one who, who carefully considers the truth. The one who, who looks intently at the law. The word intently there is, is carefully. He carefully considers with, with eagerness. It literally has to do with stooping down. Like you can imagine you're walking along the street and, and there's a gold coin on the ground. What are you going to do? You're going you're to stoop down and look at it carefully. And then you're going to pick it up. Put it in your pocket, but you're you're stooping down. You're looking at something. You have a, a penetrating gaze in the mirror. You have a penetrating gaze in the Word of God where you're you're eager to see who God is and you're eager to know your own self. I was talking to my mother and and she's uh, dealing with a particular situation in a in a home group where Somebody has said that, oh, we need, to, we need to know ourselves and then we'll know God. And she's confronted that person and, and tried to help them to understand it's not about knowing ourselves. We know God, we know His Word, and we actually then can know ourselves, right? Because we can deceive ourselves in our pride to think that we're okay. And James says, look, look at the perfect law. It's the gospel message. It's the, it's the Old Testament scriptures. It's the summation of, of all of the Bible. It's the, the perfect law. It's perfect. It's complete. It's all that we need for life, for spiritual life and godliness, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Word of God is what we need. It's, it's sufficient. One of the greatest dangers for us as believers is we accept the Word of God's authority and we accept the fact that it's without error, but, but do we believe it's sufficient for our lives? Right? And that's where that spiritual pride comes in. Is, is, it's interesting that we'll, we'll go, to, go to so many other places when we want to know what's best for our lives except the Word of God. Or if we see what the Word of God says, we dismiss it. And we say, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. The Word of God says that, that man is inherently evil. But we'll, we'll have issues in our, in our hearts, in our minds. And, and the first reaction is we, we go to a psychologist who, who believes in the antithesis of Scripture. Psychologists believe that man is inherently good. 
It's because of his, his behavior. It's because of his, excuse me, it's because of his interaction with society or, or past experiences. That's why he does what he, what he does. That's why he has that particular behavior. The Word of God says is it's because of the, the nature of the heart that people do what they do. You see, we go anywhere but the Word of God. Bible is sufficient. It's, it's perfect. And in fact, James continues and gives a, another adjective. He says that it's the, it's the law of liberty. Because obeying the Word of God is freedom. It's a life of true happiness. As later on, James says it's a, it's a blessed state. Because we're freed from the consequences of sin and the power of sin. Before we knew Jesus Christ, before we submitted to Him, we were enslaved to our sin. You had no choice. Now, there were different degrees of sinfulness, but you, you obeyed your sinful lust. You, you, you went along that same flood of dissipation that everyone else did, as Peter says. But the law of liberty, God's, God's word, we're, we're freed from the, the consequences of sin, but we're freed from the, the power of the sin in our lives. And if you obey God's word, God, your life, will be so much better. And I say it like this. When you disobey God, there's consequences for sin. Because sin always separates and sin destroys. How many of you know in your family, your friends, you, you see lives that are, are destroyed by sinful choices? It's terrible. If they had obeyed God's law, they had obeyed His, His perfect law, then God, then, sorry, then they would have been, been removed from so many of the sinful consequences, from, from the sin that they committed, the choices that they made. So James' point is, it's a law of liberty. It gives us freedom. The Word of God doesn't constrain us because when we, when we live in God's will, that's the best possible place for you. When you're living in obedience to Him, it's freeing. It's joyful. And James said it's a, it's a choice. Right? He says he looks intently and, and he abides by it. He, he continually perseveres. Abide is to remain steadfast. It's a, it's a heart committed to the Word of God. And he contrasts that abiding person who, who, who abides in the Word of God with the, with the forgetful person. I was listening to a radio show years ago and I... Uh, and I still remember one of the things that a particular individual was saying, and he, he was a prisoner, and he was calling in from prison, and that's what kind of caught my ear. And he said, you know, people think we're scum. And he said, we are scum. We hurt people. We take their things. We destroy families. We are scum. And he said, we have to, when we get out, we have to prove that we're not anymore. See, what a confession. Brethren, when you look at the Word of God and you humbly study it, and it's perfect, or it is perfect, and it shows you who you really are. The Holy Spirit illuminates your mind to, to understand the Word. It convicts your, your heart of the, the sinful thoughts you have, your sinful motives, your, your actions in your life. That's why we preach. That's why I preach the Word of God, because preaching is different than teaching. Teaching, the goal of teaching is to, is to pass along information. Preaching is very different. 
Paul actually tells Timothy and tells us what preaching is in, in 2 Timothy 4 2. He says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. You see, the pastor's responsibility, the, the preacher's responsibility is to explain the text in his context and, and challenge his hearers to respond in, in greater faith, greater repentance, or greater obedience. See, a preacher, a preacher exhorts. My goal is not just to, to give you information. My goal is to, is to have the Word of God come in contact with your heart and with the working of the Holy Spirit, have you be changed in some way. To grow in your faith in your worship of the Lord. To, to grow in your understanding of your sinfulness so that you will re- confess and repent of it. And, th- and to grow in your, uh, your obedience. It's the goal of a preacher. Not just to pass along information. If I've just passed along information, then, then I haven't done my job as a preacher. Any preacher. Brethren, we, the goal is that you would respond to the Word of God. Because it is the best thing for you. God's will is the best and perfect thing for you. James describes an ideal hearer. He says the ideal hearer is they, they don't look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. They abide by it. They've not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. So they're not, they're not forgetting. They're, they're receiving the word in humility. The, the forgetfulness doesn't describe them. If you want to describe a mature Christian, you could describe as someone who abides in the truth. You never describe a mature Christian as someone who is forgetful of the word. And he says, look, they're a, they're a doer of the word. They're an effectual doer, or, or literally in the Greek it means a doer of works. It's persistent obedience to, to what you hear, what you read. It, it's, it's displayed in your actions. You're a doer of the Word. That's the contrast. It's a person whose characteristic, their life is characteristic or characterized excuse me, by obedience to God's will. But he says, look, there's a, there's a blessed condition. He said, this man will be blessed in what he does. It's, it's person, to be blessed, a person is in a, in a right relationship with God. He's the blessed God, and if he's blessed, he indwells us. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've been, we've been cleansed from our sin. Right? We're in submission to him. We're in a blessed state. Positionally, that will never change. Right? Colossians, as we went through over and over in Colossians, uh, we are in Christ, in Christ, over and over, Paul says, that, that cannot change if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. Right? But how is that demonstrated? Well, you demonstrate that you're in Christ by your life. But what can change and what, what, what James is saying, that blessed life, is our fellowship with God can be in, in, impeded by our sin by our, our lack of submission to His will. That's why you have so many believers, unfortunately, they, they don't seem to grow too much. And it takes such a long time because they're not interacting with the Word of God and receiving it, and, and they're not responding to it in obedience. The idea here for, for blessedness is you're, you're persevering, you're continually obeying, and, and it demonstrates the real faith you have. Because remember, that's James's point. He wants to have faith that's demonstrated. 
You think about God's goodness upon you. You're a blessed state as you obey His will. You're blessed and God's pouring His goodness upon you. Because the will of God protects you from, from sin's consequences. And then true happiness comes through obedience to the Scriptures. We think of happiness, and so often we think of happiness, it's circumstantial happiness. But true happiness, true joy, comes through obedience to the revealed will of God. Obedience brings assurance. I love what Peter says in Second Peter. He says, he talks about the, the qualities in a person's life, and he just says that um, if these qualities, some of these qualities in chapter, let's go back to verse 5, he says that for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply more excellence, and in your more excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And your brotherly kindness, love. And if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, you, you want to have assurance? You want to be useful to God? You want to be fruitful in your spiritual life? You have assurance that you're a Christian? Is your life a life that is characterized by obedience to the Word of God? Do you have a desire to obey? Now, I'm not talking about the struggle with sin. You read about Paul's struggle with sin in Romans. He says, I do the things I, I don't want to do. Brethren, if you're struggling with sin, that's a good thing. My wife and I have had discussion many times over the years where, you know, you think about, I, I, she'll say or I'll say, you know, we're not the people we used to be, and, and that's a good thing. Because the people we used to be are people that were immature, that were prideful and selfish, and, and God has has reveal to us the, the sin in our life, and we struggle with that sin. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. They do sin, right? Jesus says they, they love the darkness. They hate the light. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. A struggle with sin is a good thing, right? Because it shows the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. But obedience also brings the fruit of the Spirit. This is the blessed life. As you submit to the Word of God and as you, as you respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit bears fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Galatians. You know, the Holy Spirit's bearing that fruit in your life as you submit to the Word of God. James says that the blessed man is, is blessed or the person is blessed in all that he does. It, it's talking about his life. A, a total life of obedience to the Word of God brings blessing upon you. Because God, if you refuse to obey, God will discipline you. Because He loves you. Just as a father disciplines his child. You know, that blessed state only comes from God. If you're, you're in a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, you're in a blessed state. This covenant relationship in Christ cannot be broken if you're a child of God. God's favor, His blessings are upon you, but they're often conditional upon obedience. Disobedience brings discipline and removal of divine favor. Read Psalm 38 and you can hear how, how God is disciplining David for his sin. Psalm 41 as well, you, you can see David is being disciplined. He, re, he receives the word... And he responds to the discipline in repentance and faith. In fact, God actually says that he's a man of integrity. doesn't mean he's going to live a perfect life. But a person of integrity, what they do, when confronted with sin, what do they do? They respond in repentance. 
in obedience. David is an example of that. It doesn't mean the consequences for sin don't, don't continue. You can see that in the, even in David's life with his sons. Brethren, receiving the word in obedience is always the best option for you. When you obey God, you, you, you'll never be disappointed. He gives you the instructions for your life, the strength to obey, and He rewards you for your obedience. Blessed is God's favor towards us. Blessed is God's favor to those who do His will. There's an old adage I heard a long, long time ago, and many of you probably heard it, that, that this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. I remember when I was a kid, I'd go to the barbershop with my dad. Obviously, that was a long time ago. I'd go to the barbershop with my dad, and um, the particular barbershop, they had mirrors. Uh, as you sit in the, the old-style barbershop, you'd sit in that seat that swiveled, and there was a mirror in front of me and a mirror behind me. And as the barber was working on my hair, I could literally see what he was doing in the reflection. And how often do you actually get to see the, the back of your head? And so as a kid, I was fascinated by, oh, look, I could see the back and see my neck. You know, you, you stare at those things. And you're, you're, you're looking intently and you're, you're just kind of looking at yourself in a way that you haven't seen yourself before. Well, the Word of God shows you yourself in a way you haven't seen before. It shows you your heart. It shows you how, how far from God's standard we really are. It shows us how often our, our pride gets in our way and shows us the selfishness in our hearts. It shows us the, the idolatry that remains, the covetousness, the dissatisfaction with God, the, the, the ungratefulness that we have so often as we ask for more and more and we expect more and more from God. The Word of God shows us that it speaks of, uh, of our self-righteousness and our holiness and our rebellion. Well, James exhorts his readers, he exhorts you, brethren, to, to not be deceived, self-deceived in your pride and refuse to hear and obey the Word of God. Don't think that you're okay just because you hear good sermons, you read good books, you go to a home group. If you hear the Word and you're not obedient to the Word, then you're deluding yourself. You're missing out on a blessing. And that's, that's James's, James's focus. Response to the Word of God. You either respond in, in a self-deluded manner and forget what you've read and what you've heard, or you, you respond in obedience and, and you're blessed. Brethren, we've talked about today that there's a, a response required there's a danger to be avoided, and there is a, a blessing to be gained. My prayer, brethren, for you is that, and my ex exhortation to you, is that you would respond to the Word of God, that you would obey its commands, and that you will be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for this exhortation, James's. His rebuke, His correction, His instruction in righteousness that, that we may see that often we come to the Word of God and we demonstrate our pride and we refuse to, to, refuse to see ourselves how we really are. We refuse to respond in, a, in obedience. Forgive us of this, of this pridefulness and selfishness. Cleanse us from this unrighteousness. 
Lord, help us to be a people that, that hears your word, to obey your word, so that we are, are characterized, that as people describe us, they, they would say that we are doers of the word, that we would be men and women of integrity. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. And as, as Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Help us to, to show you the glory that you deserve by a life of active obedience. Father, we thank you again for your word in that it shows us our lives. It shows us your will. We praise you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.